Welcome back to another episode of the Through the Banner podcast. My name is Casper McLeod coming to you from Dubai in the Middle East. And with me today is my co-host all the way back in Melbourne, Liam Webster McAllister. I think I got your last name right this time. Uh, how are you, Liam? Very well. And uh, boy, we got a big week of football, which has just passed us. Massive week of footy. Absolutely massive. Another big one coming up. Uh, Liam is a pessimistic Collingwood fan. His words, not mine. Uh, though I would definitely concur with that. Has enjoyed watching football for over 10 years and played over 100 games at junior level, captaining his team to a flag and also a collarbone injury. Liam, very big weekend of football that we just had. We'll move on straight away. Section one, the review of the round that just happened. Round seven is coming on. Top two highlights, and then we're going to top two lowlights. Top two highlights. Number one for me, it's got to be the Sydney Gold Coast game, right? Um, not as close to some of the other matches, but just the caliber of goals kicked in this game was incredible. Rankin, again, showed why he should win the Rising Star Award, hands down, this year. He's starting five games behind everyone else, and I think he's wrapped it up already by game two. Now, the last time I said this, that was about three weeks before Rao got injured, so touch on wood. I'm knocking on my bedside table next to me that doesn't happen to Isaac Rankin, but he is insane. That goal that he kicked, the first goal of the game, even Stuart Dew was going, wow, dang, that's incredible. So for me, just, and then the Will Hayward goal on the three-quarter time siren, topped only by Tom Papley hurdling him like they were at the Olympics. Absolutely incredible. So for me, that's my number one highlight. How about for you? Uh, for me, it has to be Robbie Gray's goal on the boundary line. Um, mm-hmm. And as much as it pains me to say it, uh, it was very much uh, a memory of uh, Mr. Dom Sheed's goal against uh, my beloved Collingwood in 2018. <laughs> but if I strip away the part of me which reminds me of that, the goal itself uh, in the circumstances was just absolutely remarkable. Um, mm. And yeah, I, I enjoyed that uh, extremely watching that go through. Oh, it was great. It was absolutely great. Fantastic game of football. I think it's rare that I'll put a loser in the top two, in the top highlights, but Carlton, that was almost as good as a win from the Blues. They were absolutely incredible. And the fact that they are now in a position where they can walk away playing a game against the best team in the competition thus far, the ladder leaders after seven rounds, and losing to them by three points and being disappointed in themselves and saying, ah, we should have won that. It's really frustrating that we didn't win that. Speaks volumes to where they've come from. Last year, just last year, they were getting crushed at the start of the season nearly every single game. Brendan Bolton goes out, David Teague comes in, and it was an incredible performance. So I think Carlton deserves to be in the positives this round. How about you? Uh, well, mine is a bit of a, a turn in a sense. It's actually something that happened off-field, which absolutely, I think, touched the hearts of every AFL fan. Uh, it was the photo of Gary Abler being reunited with his son. That, for me, was just the most heartwarming thing. Obviously, the circumstances of what's going on is 
obviously, you know, no one wants to go through that. But the fact that he's with his family is just something which I think nobody can take away from him. He had to be there. And for me, I just loved seeing that photo. It was a moment which I think is outside of football, which we can all appreciate. So that was my second highlight for the week. Yeah, very heart touching. And thoughts go out to Gaza and his family with the struggles that they're going through, obviously with their son and yeah, just hopes that hope that things get better for them. Um, top two low lights. Oh goodness gracious me, where do I even begin? Um, we'll get into this later. Uh, but North Melbourne, they're in a world of hurt at the moment. You know, they beat the Giants. They had that great comeback against St. Kilda back a million years ago in round one. Came back. They beat the Giants in Sydney, which is rare to do, tough to do, especially when you're not a premiership contender. We all thought, hang on, well, hold on a second. Maybe we're not taking North so seriously. Bad loss against the Swans, heartbreaking loss against the Hawks. And three weeks later, They've just been crushed two weeks in a row against the Dogs and now against the Tigers. It's not looking great for North Melbourne. And I think they may have jumped the gun and getting rid of Brad Scott. We'll discuss that a little bit later. But that's just my opinion. Maybe Reese Shaw isn't the messiah that we were all talking about. Maybe. How about you? Yeah, I'm with you on that. I think my biggest... uh low light for the week has to be North Melbourne. I mean, they went pointless in the first quarter, uh, had a reasonable second quarter in kicking two goals and then went goalless for the remaining second half. So in three quarters, they only managed to kick a combined eight points. Like that, for three quarters, eight points. You know, with all due respect, okay, you had a good second quarter, but you can't base a whole game off of one quarter, essentially. Eight points in three quarters just doesn't cut it for a professional football team. Um, and that was just really painful to watch that they could put in a performance like that. Granted, it's against a quality side in Richmond, but come on, you've got to be doing better than kicking eight points in a in three quarters for, for me. Mm, I agree. I agree with that. How about you, your second low light? Or your first low light, I should say. Yeah, um, it probably would have to be Essendon's, I believe it was second quarter. Um it might have been third. They kicked three points in uh, that quarter, and it pretty much was the turning point in that game against the Bulldogs. Um, because that, yeah, it was that uh, third quarter where they kicked three behinds, um, and the Bulldogs managed to kick five goals, three behinds. Uh, and that took the game from a small lead to the Bulldogs, you know, two goals at the halftime break to essentially game over by three quarter time. So I think uh, the Bombers' third quarter for me, is uh, the, well, my second, I guess, low light of the week. For those who can't see me, which is everyone listening to this, I am currently drinking out of my Essendon water bottle uh, that's currently filled with all my tears left over from Friday night's game. All I can say is, thank God I was in a plane flying over somewhere just off the coast of WA during that third quarter, and I didn't have to watch that. Um, right. For me, Melbourne were very good. Hawthorne were very bad. And it's bemusing to me why they are that bad. Because North Melbourne, right, you look at them. Okay, you got Ben Brown, form slump. They brought back Cunnington and Zeeble um, off injuries too soon. And then they've had to get sent off early in 
when both the last two matches. Zerha is a gun. Um, they don't really have anyone else. Maybe maybe Robbie Tarrant, that's about it. But Hawthorne, you've got so many talented players still. I mean, yeah, sure, you've lost a lot of talent as well. But come on, you're coached by one of the best coaches of all time. How can you be this bad? It's one thing to lose in, in a crunched game against an opposition who, against you, probably penciled in a victory when the season restarted in Melbourne. But it's another thing to get pulverized like they did. So disappointing from the Hawks. How about for you, your other low light? I've lost count. How many low lights have you done? One low I think, light, right? I think we've done two. We, okay, we, we great. We agreed on the North Melbourne, and then uh, you went with Hawthorne, and I went with uh, Essendon. Fantastic. <laughs> Off to a flying start here, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, most surprising result. Um, how about for you? Most surprising result for you? Four. Um, I think it... It's a tough one because there's there's two for me. There's even three, I'd argue. There's obviously the Bulldogs' uh, demolition of Essendon. There's the surprise, uh, almost get over the line win by Carlton, and then there's Melbourne's demolition of Hawthorne. Uh, but I think I would probably go with Carlton uh, pushing Port Adelaide quite literally to beyond the siren, um, because even though uh, you know Essendon got beaten quite comfortably by the Bulldogs. Beveridge seems to have it over Essendon. So I don't oh, think don't that... Don't even get me started. Was... Don't even get me started. <laughs> I, I don't think that that was the biggest surprise. And then at the same time, we all know about the, tr the trouble at Hawthorne at the moment. So that also, for me, isn't... I think that Carlton putting up as valiant an effort as they did against Port Adelaide uh, has to be my biggest surprise because I don't think anyone coming into that game would have expected uh, the effort that they managed to put in. I think for me, I'll go with the Hawthorne result just because it wasn't that long ago that they were, that we were talking them up as potential premiership contenders when they pulverized Richmond. And now all of a sudden it's like, ha, Hawthorne? More like, ha, no. But, um, yeah, no, they're just, they're just terrible at the moment. Um, biggest positive surprise for me, uh, yeah, the dogs, they look great. They look great. They are... Like so many teams this year, really inconsistent. Just the the gap between their best and their worst is just a little bit too far for me, for me to say that they'll push for the top four. Um, but as soon as they lower that gap and they stop losing by so much, um, they can they can challenge for the top four spot. And then from there, who knows? Maybe they'll finish seventh and they'll win four in a row again. Um, who knows? Anything's possible. Twenty twenty is the year of possibilities. We could be seeing. Gold Coast v Carlton in the grand final held in B B Buenos Aires. I don't know. We don't know. It could happen anywhere. Brisbane, Antarctica, watching it. Antarctica, who knows? Like we could be in Auckland or Adelaide. We could be in Cork in Ireland instead of camp. Like we have, it could be anywhere at the moment. This is the year of possibilities. And at the same time as being frightening, it's kind of exciting from the football point of view because anything can happen. Uh, what about your biggest positive result? Yeah, I think I'll, I'll go with you on that one. Because mm. 
as much as you know, you have to give credit to Carlton where due. At the end of the, the day, they didn't get the result, uh, whereas the Bulldogs did it in extremely good fashion. So when you have to look at the result on the whole, you have to go with the Bulldogs. They quite literally steamrolled Essendon. Um, they just looked better at everything. Uh, I didn't see the full game, but the moments that I did manage to see, it was just like watching poetry in motion by um, uh, the Bulldogs. And there was a particular moment. Uh, I think it was a ruck tap down by English to Bontempelli, and it was just the cleanest bit of ruck work roving that I've probably seen uh, this year, to be honest. So that was just awesome to watch. Biggest negative surprise was definitely, of course, you know, you know who I'm going to, you know who I'm going to say, you know who I'm going to say, of course it's going to be Essendon. The one highlight we had throughout the entire night was that awesome goal assist from, uh, from McKernan early on, that just brilliant, just the tap to McDonald, Tip and Woody. It's just so, so great. That was incredible. I've just been watching that on replay because I don't want to watch the rest of the game. As soon as I watch the highlight package, it gets to that point. I just skip back over the previous 15 seconds and just keep that on replay, not watching any point further than that because it's just all too depressing for me. Leaving my uncle and aunt's place, we were heading back to the airport and I told them about the last time that I saw the Bombers and the Bulldogs played last year in the 104-point loss, hashtag 21 in a row. And I was telling them all these different details about it. My uncle says to me, how do you remember this much? And I said to them, when you see something like that in person, you never forget about it. You never forget about the dog supporters taunting you. You never forget about just the horrible, horrible, horrible feeling as someone in the crowd says, oh my God, they've kicked 19 goals in a row. And you looked up at the scoreboard and you go, oh my God, you're right they have oh my goodness that was just terrible and the realization that in a season as bad as last year was with Stuart Stew's Gold Coast losing 18 in a row to end the season Brendan Bolton got let go Brad Scott got let go Ross Lyon got let go Alan Richardson got let go Melbourne crashed and burned in a season as bad as that with all those teams, the only team to lose by over 100 points was us. And yet we still finished eighth. So Impressive. yeah, that's the biggest net. <laughs> Thanks. I could, I could feel the sarcasm coming through the screen there. Uh, biggest negative surprise for me was definitely Essendon. Uh, we have been crushed every single time we've played the Bulldogs. The last time we beat the Dogs was in 2014. And I remember that game because Jason Winderlick kicked a goal from the boundary line. But I also remember that game because that was the last time we played the Dogs without getting our pants pulled down. 2015, they beat us by 80 points. 2016, they beat us by seven goals. 2018, uh, 2017, they beat us by like five or six goals. 2018 was kind of close, but we should have won that one, 21 points. Last year was hashtag 21 in a row, hashtag painful. And then this year was hashtag third quarter disaster. Um, I'm getting sick and tired of the hashtags. I'm getting sick and tired of the hashtags. I just I'll put don't you out of your misery. I'll, I'll give my worst um, result for the week. Thank you. Um, I'm, there's a couple, obviously, because, like I said, there's an, an, another uh, instalment of the Essendon getting pants pulled down by I Bulldogs thought you saga. said you were going to put me out of my misery. 
But I think there's other games uh, which I think need to be put more pressure on than that. Um, and I think for me, it's between two. I think it's between North Melbourne uh, getting their pants pulled down, obviously uh, nine goals. Um, but I'm actually going to go with a bit of a surprise one here. I think Geelong against us. I okay. think that they obviously only ended up losing by 22 points. But I watched that game in full. Obviously, my team was playing. And Geelong managed five goals in that game. I not kid you, I think at least three of those we gave to them on a plate uh, as a result of our mistakes. And Geelong just looked extremely poor going forward against us. And like I said, they needed us assisting them goals, essentially. So that, for me, is the biggest low light. Geelong's failure to pretty much put anything together against uh, us. Yeah, fair point. I'll remind you of the 2011 grand final. But I get your point. You did mention North Melbourne. Let's get into section two, the big talking points. Did North make a mistake of getting rid of Brad Scott? Because really, what's changed, right? What's changed? Not much. Except the nucleus of that team is getting older. They're getting more injured. They're getting more banged up. Cunnington's evil. Tarrant is playing great. But Ben Brown has had a dip in form. The kids outside of Zerha and maybe Curtis Taylor haven't developed. Aside from some really good wins in the middle bit of last year, which could almost be um, chalked up to the emotion, right? Of losing your coach, you come out, you want to perform strongly. You know, that's when they beat Richmond. That's when they beat you guys. That's when they, you know, they had a strong period of time, right? But in that stretch at the back end of last year, and I feel like a lot of people forgot about this game, they kicked only one goal, eight against Geelong, right? And if it wasn't for us, hashtag 21 in a row, they would have been the talking point the next week, right? Now, you can have one bad game under your reign, you know, Ideally, you want to kick more than one goal during a football match. But, okay, fine. Wet weather. You're playing Geelong and Geelong, and almost no one wins down there. But when you then followed up the next year with only two goals in a football game, mutual ground with Richmond having the injuries and the absentees that they had, it's starting to become just a little itty bit of a trend. And that's, that should be sounding alarm bells. And now, you sent me this beforehand, Liam. If I just scroll through our Facebook, um, Facebook Messenger chat here, it says here, according to afr.com.au's Damian Barrett, North Melbourne are exploring trade offers for Ben Brown. What? Why? Who else do you have except for the big guy with the mess of hair and the 50 on his back? You have nothing else. Why would you be trying to get rid of him? They'll be like One Direction trying to get rid of Harry Styles, right? Without Harry Styles, they just fell apart, right? And here with North Melbourne, if they let Ben Brown go, I guess that it would be tried to tried to free up cap space to try and entice a big name player with money. But who, why would you want to go somewhere that doesn't have a vision for its future and is 
seemingly, if they let go of Ben Brown, trying to backtrack and head in a younger direction. At least with Gold Coast, right, Brendan Ellis, he went from Premiers to the Wooden Spooners, right, which is interesting. But they had a vision, at least, right? They had a handful of draft picks, good draft selection, and they're getting experienced players from other clubs to help build up their young core. And they already had players like Miller and Swallow and Wits to build around. But Zeeble's going to retire sooner rather than later. You would think Cunnington too, Tarrant as well. If they lose all the Goldstein, he'll probably be gone sooner rather than later. You get rid of those four plus Ben Brown. I, I, North Probably Melbourne not. at this point wins the premiership every two decades or so. It might take them another 50 years to win their next flag the way that they are going. Yeah, it's, it's a debatable topic whether they let, uh, you know, Scott go too early. Um, I think they got caught in the idea of we need something, anything to kind of try and breathe new life into the club. And I think the way that they saw that was to dump off the old coach and bring in a new one. And I think that a lot of people were at the time a bit, I wouldn't go as far to say flabbergasted, but were a bit surprised that they made as bold a decision as that. Because I don't think anyone really thought that getting rid of Scott was the solution. I feel like it was something which they was, was, I think they were hoping to get the results they did following him leaving, but on a more consistent basis. And it didn't happen. Um, and I think if they were to go on to lose Ben Brown, like we've discussed, I think that's going to set them back quite a fair bit. You look at other clubs who have struggled in recent years, the likes of Carlton, they've managed to hold on to Cripps. I think, you know, uh, North Melbourne need to do the same. If they're going to go anywhere in the next couple of years, they need to hold on to those key players. And I think losing Ben Brown would set them back rather than give them the cap space that they potentially want to go and get someone else. I don't see, like you said, I don't see anyone who would be attracted to the prospect of going to North Melbourne at the moment. So I think they've got to hold on to the quality they do have and try to, you know, just, they've got to try to find something which, they, they need to build on what has worked in previous games and really look to try and eradicate the things that haven't, I think, ultimately. The last time that I reckon North Melbourne had a successful recruiting season was when they recruited for their assault on the premiership in the late to mid seven, mid to late seventies. It's been that long, right? They've, they haven't been a destination club and it's the reason why they're stuck on four premierships. Um, Damien Barrett explained, basically highlighted these points. Um, totally recommend dear listener checking out him um, and his points on this. Moving on. Uh, it's clear now, to me at least, and I think to most people, um, much to the chagrin of Victorians, that the AFL Grand Final won't be held in Victoria. For the first time ever, it will be held interstate. The question is where? Now, uh, you could go bigger crowd, in which case then the obvious answer is Perth, off the stadium, 60,000 people. If Sydney is unavailable, if Sydney is available, then go Stadium Australia, which is, I think, 80,000 people or so, right? That allows the AFL to recoup as much money as possible, right? Um, but there is a point raised, 
which I think is a very good point that uh, with Sydney, with the latest kind of spike in cases there, uh, it's probably safe to assume that football won't be played there again for a while. Um, just, just, just to be safe, um, which will rule out Stadium Australia, rule out the SCG. Um, the WA government, and I don't blame them for this because they want to be careful and all that, and I totally understand. And WA, for the most part, has been pretty good at keeping the coronavirus at bay. A um, couple little little tiny spikes nowhere near the nowhere near the spike that victoria is currently experiencing uh but in in trying to protect their people they've been very firm on their borders queensland on the other hand uh has come to the rescue of football allowing the victorian clubs to be stationed there sunshine coast brisbane gold coast and, and that's fantastic. That's great. And sincerely, thank you, uh, Premier Palaszczuk, from the bottom of all footballers' hearts, thank you for letting this season go on. But now we're here to dilemma. Does the AFL go with rewarding the state that has saved its butt? Or does it protect its own financial interest in the hopes that WA will allow a full crowd and at that time and let the grand final be held in Perth or is Adelaide a dark horse that people should be talking about? What do you think? Yeah. Um, I think that the AFL has had such a difficult financial year that they're going to go with the biggest possible crowd they can get. Um, and like you said, I think Sydney would be number one after Victoria and then, uh, you know, Western Australia would be third place after that. Um, what, uh, you know, one of the biggest dark horses to emerge, you know, from a few days ago was obviously the Wang Wangaratta Mayor Dean Rees throwing their hat into the banner. <laughs> um, and look, you know, it's all good. You know, we want football to get out from just the you know the cities and get out to the rural areas, but a fifteen thousand spectator grand final, I just think, is not going to cut it. I think, yep. you know, Gil McLaughlin is not going to be like damn, we're, we're struggling here. Let's go back to, you know, uh, the state that's struggling most yeah. and hold it in a place where we're only going to get a mere, you know, 15,000 spectators. I yeah. think going either to the safest place, which is WA, if they'll allow it, um, which can hold a fairly substantial crowd, or going elsewhere to Queensland seems reasonable. But I think... If I'm Gil McLaughlin, I'm going Western Australia because it's the safest currently and would bring back the most financial gain for the area. Actually, I reckon the safest is probably the Northern Territory. Can't think of the last time they've had a case. True. Yeah, but where would that be held again? Is there a stadium yeah, which true. could really match the, uh, the strength of the Optus Stadium? Although I kind of love the um, the imagery of the, the winning team in like Alice Springs celebrating with that beautiful NT sky with the sun setting, you know, winning the premiership in the heart of the country. Uh, it just, you know, it kind of it kind of warms my heart a little bit. But yeah, yeah, no, I think I think the AFL is just predicting based off of nothing. I think the AFL is going to go with the bigger crowd. Um, I'm not sure they should. 
Uh, yeah, it's tricky though. It's tricky. And then Adelaide, you can look at Adelaide and Adelaide has a 50, 55,000 seat stadium. I think the Adelaide overlives. You know, that's only a few thousand short of up the stadium. And if, if South Australia opens their border up quicker to the rest of the country than WA does, do you send the grand final to South Australia and then have the premiership team celebrate on the hill? I it's, think another consideration is yeah. also the fact that Optus Stadium is very similarly built to the MCG. You know, it's very um, much kind of a, a mimicked version of the MCG. And I think for a lot of teams that have, well, obviously Victoria is the predominant place where AFL is played. I think a lot of the Victorian teams would like to probably see it played there as well because of its similarities to the MCG. Um, That's a very Vic bias comment for you to say. <laughs> I, I'm not saying that I necessarily think that that's the reason it should be played there. I'm just saying that I think that would be something which the Victorian teams would argue is a, another reason for it to be played there in that it's the um, closest to the home of football ground that we have available. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, look, it's going to be interesting. I think this is simultaneously a win-win and a win-lose, a lose-lose situation, right? Because you have you have a grand final that will hopefully be played this year, knock on wood, hopefully in front of crowds, knock on wood again. But wherever you get played, you'll get plenty of criticism for where you choose. Mm -hmm. So it's tricky right? There's yeah. only one, really, there's only one wrong answer at the moment. And that's in Europe, or in like China, or in the US, you know, somewhere where there's a lot of coronavirus cases, don't play it there. But anywhere else is an acceptable answer. Next topic. Is the state of the game in trouble? And I ask this because that was seemingly the comments from everyone after that admittedly terrible Richmond-Sydney game. The lowest scoring game since the mid-1990s that game was. And Damien Hardwick came out and blamed the Sydney Swans. And then Mrs. Hardwick apparently whipped him into shape. He was pretty brutal, wasn't he? He was pretty Hardwick. brutal. And um, pretty unfair as well. Because, you know, it's not like the Swans are the only team that does that. But Anyway, it's not a salty Swan supporter at all. <clears throat> uh, the the game is fine though. Looking at looking at the great games on the weekend, you know Port Adelaide, Carlton, um, heck, even even Thursday night in Perth, that was a good game. That was a close game for most of it. Um, uh, goodness, what other games happened this weekend? Wow, my memory is just gone. Adelaide-St. Kilda was a good game up until the final quarter where the Saints kind of pulled away. But not too bad. It was a good contest. The Suns and Swans was entertaining as all heck. It was incredible. The goals, was ama the goals were amazing. Brisbane-GWS, aside from the first kind of 15 minutes of that game, that was close as well. Really, there was only... Four, three, three games that you could classify as like blowouts, right? 2020 version style blowouts, right? Bombers, 42 point loss. Hawks, 43 point loss. And the big, big kahuna was North Melbourne losing 
nine goals or so. The game is fine, don't you think? Yeah, I'm with you there. I think considering the circumstances we're in, we need to step back and say, right, what can be done considering what's going on? And I think the game, you know, there's been a few things which I think a lot of people have been against. I think shortening the quarters was one thing which I think a lot of people were a bit like, why have we done that? I agree on that. I don't see the reason why we had to necessarily shorten the quarters. Um, and there's been a few other problems. Well, 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 well the reason why is because, and I think we'll see that with the fixture as it gets released in the next few days or so, the next little block of fixtures, is because with the ever-evolving situation, I get the feeling that the AFL wants to get the season like out of the way, done as soon as possible, right? While getting through the full allotment of 17 games per team. And then you had a situation with the Connor McKenna situation earlier this year where you had the the postponed game right so now that game could get played on a tuesday and with the shortened quarters it shouldn't impact the players that much leading into the next week weekend right so that's one second i don't know if they're actually going to do this but there was an article floating around saying that there was going to be something like four weeks of football almost every day um almost baseball style, um, which is an interesting idea. And that shortened quarter allows the AFL to do that. So they were thinking there was, there was uh, rumors that they were going to try and get through something like six rounds of football in like four weeks. And that allows them to do that with the shortened quarters. So I get it. I get it. Why? Plus if the quarters are longer, you'll see more injuries coming off the two months break. Yeah, there's definitely reasons to shorten quarters. I just think that a lot of people thought, you know, we could still get away with an extra four minutes, I think. And, you know, that, that's a matter of debate. I think everyone will have a different opinion on that, ultimately. It's just down to preference. Um, but I think the AFL ultimately have done a pretty good job. You know, it's been such a challenging year, uh, not just, you know, within Australia and the AFL, for the whole world. And, um, you know, ultimately major sport like all sports have had to reconsider how they've approached uh their seasons or you know just the, the whole sport in itself uh in almost every country has had to reconsider how their sports have been played and i think the afl has done a, a respectably good job of doing that you know there's still a lot of great football games that we've seen this year um okay there's been a couple where like that sydney and uh, richmond game there's been a few calls that the games looked a bit stale you know Colling would have turned into the team which just put the great wall of china up every game it seems like yeah. but i think ultimately we're still seeing a lot of good football games and i think the afl should be commended for that yeah absolutely i totally agree with that and one thing that's interesting as well um conversely right the afl not too long ago was the year where you could predict pretty much the teams that were going to finish top to top four almost every year, right? You, you're going to see the Hawks, you're going to see the Swans, maybe the Cats as well. And then throwing a, a wild card, like maybe Collingwood a couple of years, maybe West Coast, maybe Fremantle. Uh, and the NRL conversely was the competition where anything could happen, right? You had one consistent contender that was always in the finals and that was always the Melbourne Storm. And the rest of the eight was like, anything goes. It's now become reverse, right? The last few years in the NRL, the Roosters and the Storm have constantly been there. The Raiders have been up there. The Sharks have been up there. 
And now in the AFL, anything goes. It's such an even competition now, and it's great. It will hopefully be a long time before we see another team win three in a row. And hopefully it won't be Hawthorne because that would be awful. That would just be the worst. That would just be just the absolute worst if that happened. Next topic. Yeah, I'm with you, though. Sorry. I, I, I was going to say, like, you were discussing how tight it is this year, and yes, I mean, we're talking four points difference between second down to tenth. <laughs> so we've, we've got a unparalleled uh, competitive season, you know, Obviously, we're only seven games in. There's still 10, uh, obviously 11 for Essendon and Melbourne still to go. But we are seeing what should hopefully be one of the tightest seasons um, of football in terms of finals footy. So exciting times for uh, football fans. Absolutely. The AFR world was struck with the devastating news of former Tiger uh, superstar... Shane Tuck's passing. He was only 38 years old. Um, thoughts are obviously with his loved ones, with Michael Tuck, his father, the former Hawthorne champion, of course. The Tigers will wear black armbands against the Giants on Friday night. Can the Tigers go the distance this year for Shane Tuck, do you think? I think uh, I think Richmond are definitely still a team which are a threat. I think Richmond, you know, the last few weeks have put together a couple of impressive performances um, and they've got themselves back in the four currently. So I don't see a reason why they can't, you know, push for at least again top four. Um, and, you know, I think they're a team which, even with the few injuries and the few absentees they have, still have an incredible list, uh, still have an incredible core group of players who, when they put it on, you know, potentially make them the best team in the comp. So I don't see a reason why they can't uh, go the distance. I think if they do do it, it'll be one of the most emotional premierships ever won. Um, Not just because of the whole pandemic situation, but, you know, there are Tiger players still playing who played with alongside Shane Tuck, you know, Trent Cochin, Dustin Martin, Jack Rewalt, um, just to name a few off the top of my head. And it, it, I can't imagine how difficult it would be for them at the moment. And what we've seen with teams before rallying around former coaches and players and families of loved ones and performing incredibly well after tragedy. We saw it with the Crows being galvanized after the murder of Phil Walsh in 2015. Um, the Hawks doing it for um, uh, Brett uh, Brett Ratton after the passing of his son in 2015. And so, yeah, look, it's entirely possible. Um, but just, yeah, thoughts. Thoughts for the Tuck family, that is for sure. The Gold Coast Suns are much better this year than last year. We don't know much better. But at least in terms of win-loss, right, last year only three wins, this year already four. So they are mathematically better, right? I'm not that great at maths, but I'm like 95% confident that four is greater than three 
I'm not too sure, but I'm fairly certain that's correct. How good can they be? Top eight? Top six? Top four? Yeah. I mean, the sky's the limit, I guess. Um, they need rail pun. back, obviously. Nice pun. Oh. Nice pun. <laughs> I feel you did there. I mean, yeah. Um, they need rail back, I think, if they're to be an extreme contender. Um, but they still are mustering up really good results without him. Um, and I think, you know, that's a testament to how much, you know, they've improved in the recent, you know, or this season, essentially, because I don't think anyone would have put them where they're at currently, um, you know, three months ago when the season hadn't started. Or, well, when we were only one or two games in before, of course, we had the huge break. Um, but, you know, I don't see a reason why they can't at least make uh, the eight. They're currently in seventh. Uh, in amongst the seemingly endless amount of teams on 16 points. Um, but, yeah, I think at least eighth, if not, I think they can definitely push for top six. Um, beyond that, I don't know. I think they'd need to get Rao back. I think they'd have to con- consistently beat a few bigger teams. And I think their match against the Bulldogs this week will be telling because I think that us two teams who have kind of proved a few, quite a few people wrong this year, not pointing any fingers at uh, anyone in particular, Casper. <laughs> Look, <sighs> primetime Gold Coast, primetime Suns, I'm all here for it. Primetime Dockers on Monday night, I am all here for it. Give me that Gold Coast free, free mantle grand final. I am so down. Uh, moving on to the injuries and suspensions, uh, refreshingly after last weekend's seemingly ever-revolving carousel of suspensions um, for idiotic bumps. There's no suspensions this week. Thank goodness for that. A couple of injury concerns, though, for some big clubs. And I want to talk about your Magpies and Jordan Dugowie, right? Because when Jake Stringer got injured for the Bombers, everyone talked about what a big loss he was. And And he is a big loss. Would you say that Jordan Dugowie is more of a loss for you guys than Jake Stringer is for us? Um, I think they're equally as important. I think if the Bombers had Danaher available, I'd say Dugowie would be a bigger loss. But ultimately, the Danaher isn't available for Essendon, and so they're without Thanks that kind of that key forward. Yeah. <laughs> so ultimately, both teams, you know, if they were to not have Stringer, would be without a key forward. Uh, yep. you know, key forward or however you want to look at it, main forward. Um, and I think losing Dugowie is a huge blow. Obviously, he was admitted the week before with all the controversy surrounding him, gave him a chance to, I guess, sort out his personal issues. Um, and he came back in and just kind of reminded people of at his best what he's capable of. Um, you know, to, to a large degree, single-handedly kind of... Mm beat Geelong. Um, you know, we had a, a few good performers out there. Let's not take away from some of the players who did really well as well. But yeah, Dugowie was the star man. Uh, probably arguably the best performer of the week. Mm. You know, debatable. Obviously, quite a few people played well. But I think losing Dugowie is huge. And I just hope for Collingwood's sake that it's not going to be much longer than you know, maybe a month. Because if it stretches on towards the back end of the season, I think that could be extremely problematic for their aspirations for, you'd imagine, probably top four push. I lost track of what we were talking about. Sorry. Um, oh, right. Injuries. Yeah. I just had a brain fade. I apologize. 
Jordan, Jordan Dugowie is important. That's it, Jordan Dugowie. Um How many goals did he kick on Thursday night? Five goals? Yeah, it was a, a very impressive handful. How many goals did... How many points did you win by? I believe it was 22, I think. Right. And <laughs> five goals equals 30 points, right? Yeah. Yeah, you guys, that's, that's, that's a big loss. Just based <laughs> off of pure math, that's a big loss. Um, yeah, that's a... Look, he being, I'm just looking at the AFL website while we chat. Um, Jeremy Howe still out for two to three months. Jordan Goey out for six to eight weeks. Um, yeah, it's just, man, it's not a great injury list for you guys. But no doubt you guys will still recover in time for a painful September loss. It's just Collingwood way <laughs> it will happen. Um, can you think of any other particular injuries? I'm just scrolling through uh, the list here. Tim O'Brien has an ankle injury. He'll be out for the next couple of weeks uh, for the Hawks. That's a, that's a little bit of a big out. Um, oh, right. We talked about this before. Uh, North Melbourne need to rest Ben Cunnington and Jack Zebel. They won't make finals. That's pretty clear. Stop getting them injured, right? Take it from an Essendon supporter who's still suffering with the decision that his club made to play Joe Danaher in early 2018 when he was hurt to try and play him through the pain with still living with that with the consequences of that decision. Don't do it, North Melbourne. Rest them, put them in paper wool, in paper, paper wool, put them in paper wool, for, for as long as they need to recover. You don't need to play them. Okay, play the kids. That's a big out for them. Uh, Burton and Motlop could be out for the power. That could be big out for them in the uh, lead-up to a matchup with St. Kilda, which is going to be an awesome game. Uh, Richmond, their depth yet to be... Uh, their depth will be tested again with Caddy being out for at least a month. Jeez Louise. Wow. So that's looking at the Richmond injury list. Three to six weeks for Prestia, three to six weeks for Nankervis. Hooley out because he's a new dad. Edwards out. Cochin one week. Caddy four to six weeks. Asprey waiting to get a test result done to see how long he'll be out for. That's a big injury list. Yeah. I mean, that, that's concerning if you're a Richmond fan, obviously. Um, they had a very similar issue last year, obviously. They had a, quite an extensive injury list, which made it um, all the more impressive how well they finished the season. Um, Hashtag but... <coughs> ten, 10 games in a row to finish the season at home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, I think, you know, Richmond this year are going through what Collingwood have gone through the last two, three years. And as a Collingwood supporter, as much as it pains me to say, we pretty much just have to accept now that Collingwood are going to have, you know, five to ten key player injuries each year. And I think Richmond are having that similar issue right now. So if you're a Richmond supporter, I uh, definitely feel for you. Yep. I agree with that one. Paddy Dow could be back for the Blues. That could be a big in for them, uh, obviously. Uh, oh, Bobbins could have Martin Gleeson back. Okay, well, at least that's something. Moving on. Round 
uh, eight preview, the third section of this podcast. I'm excited for this round of football. A lot of big matchups. Gold Coast v. Western Bulldogs at Metricon Stadium, Thursday night football, prime time, sons. I am here for it. And because they're at home, their first chance to play on primetime TV, they've been, this is their 10th season. They're on prime team, primetime TV, finally. They'll win by 19 points. They're better. They've been more impressive. Who they've beaten has been more impressive. Thus, they will win. Yeah. Um, no. Nah. <laughs> as, as much as, as much as, you know, let, let, let's, you know, respect how good Gold Coast have been. I think the Bulldogs, um, you know, a team who have been proving you wrong on a week by week basis. Yep, pretty consistently. Part. Yep. Um, I think they're coming off a, a very big win, you know, against a team who, you know, let's be re- real, have had a good year, Essendon, for the most part, you know, with a few minor blips along the way. Um, and I think the Bulldogs just look off the back of this week just gone, look a little bit stronger for me than um, Gold Coast. So I'm going to go for the Bulldogs. I do agree that it'll be fairly close, though. I'll go 15 points. Should be a fascinating game. Friday Night Football, Giants and the Tigers grand final rematch at the Giants home stadium, Giants Stadium in Western Sydney. Uh, It was a grand final mismatch last year. What will happen? Will the Giants bounce back or can the Tigers do it again? The Giants will bounce back for the simple reason that the Tigers don't play well at Giant Stadium. They seemingly always lose there. It's just the way it is. The Giants always beat the Tigers in New South Wales or in the ACT. And Richmond always beat GWS in Victoria. And because obviously this game's not played in Victoria, GWS will win in a close game. I expect a little bit of rough and tumble, a little bit of some shirt fronts, maybe. GWS by six points. Yeah, um, there's a lot of games this week, um, which I can't say for sure which team I think is going to win. I think this is another one of those. Um, This is one that could quite literally go either way because both teams have, you know, had a reasonably, you know, good year. Again, a couple of blips along the way for both teams. I think GWS have looked a little bit more problematic than Richmond. Um, and I think I, I think I back Richmond. I think, like you again, I think it's going to be close. But again, I'm going to disagree with you. I'm going to back Richmond to get over the line. I think they're building on a bit of momentum. They've had, a, obviously, a strong win uh, on Saturday. So I think they'll get over the line by... A fairly worrisome 10 points. A fairly worrisome 10 points. Wow. Interesting. As opposed to a not worrisome 10 points? Well, worrisome in the fact that it's going to be close. You okay. know, won't be sitting there with their feet up being like, yeah, we got this. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. I would think that all 10-point games would be worrisome in that case. But no, I get what you mean. I get what you mean. I'm pulling you like, I get what you mean. It's going to be good. <laughs> Two for two, we disagree on. Surely we agree on this one, though. Saturday afternoon football. North versus Carlton at the Gabba. Carlton to win? Yeah, has to be. Hey, we agree on something. (laughs) Okay, how much do you think Carlton will win by? Uh, I think 
I think it'll be a respectable win. Um, I don't think it's going to be a blowout. Um, I think it'll be a 31 points. I think it'll be one of them where North Melbourne early on will look like they're in it and then Carlton will slowly pull away. Carlton by 92. Carlton by 92. Because North Melbourne are just that bad and Carlton are all of a sudden good. Like, I'm disappointed in how good Carlton are. It's not okay. It's not ground. I did not grant them permission to all of a sudden be playing good football. But they are, and good on them. You know, the green shoots are finally starting to come through, granted a year too late for Brendan Bolton. But it's good to see they're starting to flower. They win by 92 points, and that feels a little generous. I mean, I wouldn't put it past you. You've, you've pulled off some unbelievable calls this year, so I wouldn't put it past you to get a similar margin to what the win might be, should they win. But that's a bold one. That's a very bold one. I'm feeling pretty confident about it. Sydney Hawthorne at the SCG uh, in the Sleeper Fest game of twenty of round eight, 2020. Um, this game is played between two teams who aren't good at all this year. Uh, Sydney because they're bleeding young players at the moment and Hawthorne probably because they should be bleeding young players at the moment. God, it's a, it's a, cost of the, a toss, toss of the coin. You know, who, who, which team sucks less? You know, it's almost like the 2016 US election. Which presidential candidate do you dislike the least? I'm going for Hillary Clinton to win. I was wrong in 2016, but I'll be right this time around. The Sydney Swans to win against Donald Hawks. And it would be a close win for the Swans. 15 points in a low-scoring game will be like 20 points to five. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is the unfortunate case where it's another game which is hard to call. But in the case of the previous games have been hard to call mainly because it's you know two sides who look reasonably good in this case it's a team of two relatively dwelling teams um <laughs> and i agree with you which team's going to suck less on the day i think is going to be the decider uh i'll go hawthorne why not i mean it wouldn't surprise me if, if sydney won and it wouldn't surprise me if hawthorne won because both of these teams at their worst <laughs> could get absolutely obliterated. Um, but I'll go Hawthorne by tenths. Can you... I think... Sorry. Why not? Yeah, no, you're right. Can you can you remember the last time... Can you remember when these two teams played off in two grand finals in the space of three years against each other? Oh, how long ago that innocent time was. Port Adelaide, St Kilda, at the Adelaide Oval, the power are back home. And the Saints... I think what they're doing, instead of staying in Adelaide for the week, which makes more sense to me, they're flying back out and then they're flying back in. Okay. Maybe I'm just afraid of flying, but I try to fly less whenever I travel rather than more. But that's just me. Port Adelaide versus St. Kilda. Uh, I think the power will be too powerful <laughs> for St. Right. Kilda. Thank you. I'll be here. <laughs> I'll be here all week. Uh by 11 points. It's going to be another great game of football, but Port Adelaide is hard to see a chink in their armor. It's like what Matthew Lloyd said 
right? They had one or two bad quarters against Brisbane. Other than that, they've been nearly flawless. Um, it's going to be a good game of football. Could come down to a little bit of Robbie Gray magic, even though the last time that he won the game off his own boot for the power against the Saints, it was Paddy Ryder doing the tap, the ruck work to him. So that probably won't happen this time around, considering Paddy Ryder is going to be playing for the Saints. Speaking of which, Dougal Howard and Paddy Ryder against their old team at their old home ground. Expect a hostile uh, welcome back, hostile homecoming. Uh, I know that the coach said that he's certainly expecting that, but the power will be too good. Yeah, I'm with you there. I think, um, you know, St Kilda, another team who have been bit of a, I wouldn't say a surprise package. I think a lot of people expected them to improve this year. Uh, but credit to them for sticking to that. They have looked more impressive this year. Obviously, they came off the back of a, a good win yesterday against um, Adelaide. I mean, no offence to Adelaide, but who doesn't beat Adelaide? <laughs> um, so still, though, the credit has to be given to St Kilda. They are playing well. But like you said, it's hard to find many problems currently uh, in Port Adelaide, so I think they will be too strong. I think they'll get a little bit better a result than the one you suggested. I think it'll be Port Adelaide by 26 points. Speaking of Adelaide, uh, Sunday, Adelaide versus Essendon at the Adelaide Oval. Hmm. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> oh dear. Right, I have to talk about this game. Um, look, right. I get more nervous about games where Essendon is playing the team ranked 18th. Far more than I should. <laughs> but hear me out. 2017, we were playing the 18th place Lions at our home ground at the then court Etihad Stadium. We led by something like 27 points early in the fourth quarter. And then we lost that game. But okay, fine. Fine. That was the first year you know, with the players coming back after the 2016 suspensions and it was kind of a hodgepodge Frankenstein team. Okay, fine. Bad loss, not the end of the world. 2019, the Dane Rampey gate, goalpost gate. Uh, we were unlucky to lose that game. As an Essendon and Sydney supporter, we were both unlucky to lose that game, and we were very lucky to lose that game. And I've simultaneously cursed Rampy out for that, but also applaud his genius for that moment. But that technically was a free kick, and so Essendon were robbed in that game, in a game that we really shouldn't and had no right to win, but we were still robbed. So that's okay, you know, unlucky loss. But then 2018... Playing Carlton. Carlton only had two wins that year. And we were one of them. We missed out on finals by one game. Not even that, by percentage. No, 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 it was by one game. So had we won that game, we would have had enough percentage to finish eighth. And we were good in the back half of the, of the year. People forget that we were the best team in the back half of 2018 outside of Richmond and maybe West Coast and maybe Collingwood. Do we have a top four? We are the fourth best team in the second half of that year. But yeah, thanks, Carlton, for nothing. Will this time be different? I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> Essendon by five goals. Yeah. Uh, 
I mean, you'd like to think if you're an Adelaide supporter that there'll be a win at some point. And Essendon are a bit of a banana skin team in the sense that they can pull out a surprise loss. But I think Essendon this year are looking good enough to get over the line against Adelaide. I think if I'm being brutally honest, I think Adelaide will win a game, but I don't know when that's going to be. And I don't think I'm probably going to predict it to happen at any point. Um, It'll be against Collingwood. Mark my words. (laughs) I wouldn't put it past that to be the case. Um, But I think Essendon will get the job done fairly comfortably. I'll go with a 36-point win. Speaking of Collingwood, you know how you mentioned Dom Cheat earlier? West Coast v Collingwood at Optus Stadium. West Coast will win by five points. Wound, salt, rub. Uh, this is, again, another game which is just incredibly hard to call because you've got a, a case of a team who have been hot and cold in Collingwood against a team in West Coast who look like they're starting to climb back to where they should be on the ladder. Um, and my head says, don't make a decision because I don't know who's going to win. Um, but my heart says that I need to back Collingwood, if anyone, to get over the line. So I will go with Collingwood, uh, with a narrow 10-point win. Um, but just to, you know, be fair to Collingwood, because, you know, I'm always one to call out our wrongs. Um, but That's yes, Dom, Dom Sheen, yeah, you know, no one's taking it away from him. What a moment. But we did get our vengeance against them at this exact stadium last year in an impressive fourth quarter effort. So Collingwood true. on the road are a team who could pull out the outrageous. So I wouldn't put it past them to... Don't forget, though, in the same game, you were trailing by 40 points. Very true. <laughs> <laughs> no, Melbourne v Brisbane, bizarrely on the Gold Coast. Um, to finish off Sunday... I guess that it's on the Gold Coast because Gold Coast had to travel to Victoria while Brisbane got to play like four games in a row at home. So it's only fair that the Suns get to play at their home ground and Brisbane has to travel all the way down, all the way down the highway, all the way to 30 minutes. Oh, it's so far. Oh, it's so far. Brisbane will win though, simply because they are the better team. They're the premature contender. Melbourne are significantly better than I thought they were going to be. Full kudos to Simon Goodwin for proving me wrong thus far. Uh, But they won't win this game. Brisbane by 24 points. I was just thinking, am I going to go as bold to say Melbourne will win? No. (laughs) I don't think they'll win, but my surprise is going to be that they're going to push Brisbane the full four quarters. I think that Melbourne are going to actually surprise a few people and they're going to get beat by Brisbane, but it's going to be a very tight encounter with a late blowout for Brisbane to win by 18 points. But I do think that Melbourne up until the last five or so minutes will actually be in this game. I like it. I like it. Monday night football, primetime Dockers. I'm so ready for this game. Fremantle versus Geelong. Um, for no other reason, I just have a gut feeling. You know, like the Gold Coast, when I tip Gold Coast to beat West Coast, I have a gut feeling yet again. Fremantle by seven points. Oh, I don't have a microphone, but I'm dropping my notebook. Oh, <laughs> it's the thing though, right? Gold Coast hadn't beat hadn't beaten West Coast for a couple of years before this game, right? It's been a while since they had last beaten 
the Eagles before round two and only beaten them once before. Don't forget, though, the Dockers handed Geelong arguably the biggest upset of last year when the Cats were flying and the Dockers were struggling and the Dockers chagrined them by like 36 points. It was such an embarrassing thrashing for the Cats. It won't be as bad because Geelong this year are too good to lose to a team like Fremantle by 36 points. I think, about them last year, though. They were, yeah, that's true. They were the minor premiers. Let's, be, let's not that's true. forget that. That's very <laughs> true. That's very true. And they've got a home game at the MCG, but we won't get into that. Fremantle will win by seven points. Oh, they shouldn't have to worry about that, by the way, this year, Geelong, if they do on a home final. They won't be playing at the MCG. Problem solved. Um, yeah. Fremantle by seven. Yeah, I mean, Fremantle looked impressive a few weeks ago. They built on uh, hub life and managed to muster together a few wins in a row before losing what seemed to be the longest reigning consecutive derby loss again it uh, is. this weekend. I think it is. It's ten in a row. Yeah. Um, it's, it's hard to go against Geelong. I, I'll be honest, I'm not someone who often tips surprises. My surprise is that Melbourne are going to push Brisbane, which obviously <laughs> isn't a surprise in the sense that Brisbane will still win if I have my way. But uh, it's it's hard for me to see uh, Fremantle getting a win over Geelong. I think Geelong are still a, a very good team. And I think you know, coming off the back of a pretty poor performance against us, they're going to want to prove themselves. And I think ultimately... Uh, even the home ground advantage that Fremantle will have will not be enough. I think Geelong will manage a fairly convincing 38-point win. Liam, thank you so much for joining me for this week's episode of the Through the Banner podcast. Good luck to the Pies. I hope... Wait, who do you play again? All right, West Coast. I hope West Coast beats you by five points in the final two minutes again. But thank you so much for joining me. And thank you, dear listener, for listening to yet another episode of the Through the Banner podcast. You can subscribe, follow, whatever it's called, this podcast on Spotify. And hopefully we'll see you next week, even though I can't see you because this is a podcast. You get what I'm saying. Have a wonderful week. Go Bombers. (laughs) Let's not lose to the Crows. Goodbye. Goodbye.